Welcome to the Americas, part of the Realex Global Virtual Conference 2020. I'm Zoe Hughes, CEO of the Industry Association, NARIM, and I'm proud to introduce Philip Connor, Managing Director of Research and Analytics at Bearings Real Estate, to discuss the outlook for real estate investment in the US. Philip, welcome. Thanks, Zoe, and nice to see you again, and hello to all attending Realex Global, wherever you might be. I'm happy to be here and take part in this event. Fantastic. So, from where we, we stand today, I think thinking about that, that post-COVID world, it, it may seem a little bit premature. All across the world, we're seeing a resurgence of infection rates, we're seeing localized shutdowns, but we know it will emerge. And we know there's going to be some sort of control and some sort of order when we do. And so it's to that world, to that commercial real estate world that I'd love us to focus. Um, so Philip, I'm, I'm going to ask you two issues. And I'd love you to talk about what you think the long-term impacts are going to be from the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, let's begin on office sector. There's a lot of conversation today about the future of office, you know, especially as corporations look to return, as they think about their footprints, as they think about work from home. Um, so as we stand here today, we know leasing pipelines, they're challenged. But where does, where does that demand for office start to settle by 2022? You know, what does that horizon look like over the next two to two and a half years? What do you think? Well, I think you're right. I think in the near term, office demand is likely to be quite weak. And, you know, over the next couple of years, I think demand is probably going to lag supply, um, which will put downward pressure on rents as new space is delivered. I mean, we're certainly hearing anecdotes of tenants, mostly high-profile tech companies that are in the market for large blocks of space. Amazon is not just leasing warehouse, they're leasing office space. They've announced 10,000 jobs in, in Bellevue and 3,500 jobs you know, in other cities across the U.S. Um, so leases are being signed, but I think that is, um, that's more the exception than the rule at this point, and we're seeing a clear uptick in sublease availability. So uh, especially in high-tech, um, expensive high-tech markets like San Francisco and Seattle and places like Austin. Um, so, so I think, you know, the, the long-term leases, um, office leases will insulate uh, property cash flows to some extent in the near term. Um, in fact, rent collections have held up very well so far. But um, at this point, I think companies are really starting, you know, still thinking through what their post-COVID uh, corporate footprint might look like and how their space use might change going forward. So I think, you know, for the next 12 to 18 months, which includes, you know, through, through 2021, we're certainly gonna see, um, you know, we expect that, that office users will mostly kick the can for as long as it takes to figure out, you know, what their space needs might be going forward. And until we have, you know, medical solution, um, there's no real urgency for them to act. Yeah, and, and I know this is a little bit of a crystal ball time. You mentioned the tech industry, what type of office do you think will be, I say, most challenged and then least challenged? You know, we know the technology firms, we know Google, we know Twitter have said you can work from home indefinitely. Where do you think the challenges will be? Is it kind of, you know, on a on a, a market basis, say like downtown? Is it suburban? Where do you think the the winners and the losers are, are going to be in office in the longer term? Well, I think it's really a relative game for office because I think you know all segments of the markets will be um, will be pretty challenged in the near term. Um, the clear losers, I think, will be uh, the high-rise towers and those dense urban cores, especially in cities that depend on public transport. Um, just the logistics of getting the workers to the office and then to their workspace once they get there will be incredibly difficult. There's the commute, there's the ride up in the lift. 
and then the requirements of the workspace itself, uh, ensuring that you have ample clean air, natural light, touchless sensors um, everywhere. Um, not all workers have the luxury of a good workspace at home, but for those that do and, and who can work effectively from home, there's really little reason to go back until we have a, a vaccine or some other medical solution to COVID. I think the relative winners will be um, low-rise, modern, you know, truly state-of-the-art buildings in smaller cities and suburbs, and, and for fairly obvious reasons. They offer lower-density settings, um, they're less reliant on public transport, and they allow workers greater flexibility in accessing space. Yeah. Is that more of a short-term one? As we think really long-term, do we think that the high-rise buildings in the urban cores, will they really be impacted over the very long-term? Do we have to take perspective? Do we have to bring perspective into our conversations when we think about the future of office? Absolutely. I mean, this is definitely not the end um, of the CBD office. Um, and, um, you know, I think it will come back. Just as we saw demand return um, after 9-11, despite you know, widespread and highly believable predictions to the contrary in the immediate aftermath of that tragedy. Um, but this is where opinions really start to diverge. So, you know, I can really only speak for myself on this. I think that once we have a, a treatment or a vaccine, you know, I think behavior gradually will resemble the pre-COVID normal. Um, commuters will go back to public transport. Lifts will become more crowded, maybe not to the extent they were before COVID. Uh, workers will come back to the office and hold these meetings in person and, and life will go on, but with a new awareness of, of risk, much like the post 9-11 experience. Um, safety protocols will be different and occupiers will seek buildings that feature uh, best in class um, health and safety systems and tech infrastructure. I think the bigger questions involve how the acceptance of working and meeting remotely will affect office demand and use. And that's, it's not just limited to office, but, but that's what we're talking about today. Um, I am not in the camp, um, in the end of office as we know it camp. First, work from home um, does not work for everyone, nor does everyone who can work from home want to work from home. And second, you know, for most companies, the office is still an important part of corporate culture and identity. It's critical to attracting and retaining talent and to training and mentoring employees, especially younger workers. Um, I do expect, however, that we'll see a change at the margin because the work from home genie um, is out of the bottle. I think more workers will demand the flexibility of working from home or some other location at least part of the time. And, and that that could have implications for how office office space is, is used and designed and where companies choose to locate their offices. Mm. One thing you, you mentioned that I'd, I'd love to touch on because this goes to the heart of obviously being an investor in real estate, especially on the office side, you talk about the health and wellness and obviously how we emerge post COVID. You know, there will be that onus on air quality. There will be a health and wellness focus. Um, and does this mean that we will have to start underwriting when we're doing deals, higher capex, higher operating uh, expenses? Um, what does it really do for our valuations? I'd love to get a sense as to how do we underwrite offices as we look to the future? Will expenses just simply be higher and will it impact our values? I, I Absolutely. I think that is the case. You know, the economics of office have always been um, somewhat challenging and, and the recovery from COVID and post-COVID operations will not get any easier. Um, it, it's not yet clear how much CapEx will be required um, to upgrade buildings to new health and safety standards, but it could very well be material and, and, and 
that will be difficult, that those costs will be difficult to recover in the near term, especially if, if rents are falling. Um, likewise, we, we don't really know yet what the impact will be on operating costs for expenses related to ensuring a healthy workspace, but they're, they're probably higher. Things like more fresh air circulation and enhanced cleaning protocols will add to operating costs. So, you know, assuming this plays out, um, increased CapEx and OpEx will find their way into valuation sooner or later. Um, and, and I think you have the added burden, you know, in some of these um, some of these big big cities where they have fiscal challenges, uh, you'll have the ad- added burden of, of probably higher property taxes to factor in as well. So, so I do think there's a valuation impact to this. So a quick question on office, are you a buyer or a seller at this point in time? And as you look out over the next two to three years? Yes, we are. <laughs> we, we, are uh, we are a buyer and a seller. In our business, I think you have to be prepared to be, um, to be both. And I expect we'll be on both sides of office transactions over the next 12 months because opinions on value will differ. And that's what, that's what creates opportunity. Um, I do think office may present some of the most interesting acquisition opportunities over the near term, because I think that wide bid ass spread, um, you know, is, 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 is certainly wider than you, than you'll see in industrial and apartments. Um, but I think, you know, we will be very selective on both fronts as, as sellers and buyers. And I'd, I'd like to take, if I may, a little bit of a step back, I'd love to ask you about the macro view because the job and the economic growth, it is so critical to everything we do in commercial real estate. And the US, we're obviously starting to see mortgage delinquencies increase. Obviously, retail bankruptcies have definitely risen. The shorter term impacts of COVID, they're appearing and they're going to have some meaningful impacts on our business in different ways. And I'd love to get a sense from you as to how you think this will evolve and change so as you look to the U.S., as you look to our economic growth and particularly obviously job growth, how do you think we recover in 2021 and in 2022? What does this look like for you, that macro view? Well, I think the economy so far has, has shown itself to be pretty resilient um, with a stronger back, bounce back than, than most economy, economists um, were expecting, thanks in no small part to massive um, fiscal and monetary stimulus. You know, a, a lot still depends on finding a medical solution to COVID, which is way beyond my expertise. Um, but until we have a treatment or a vaccine, I mean, the economy really has no choice but to operate at reduced capacity. Um, a lot also depends on continued monetary and fiscal support, which in the case of the, of the latter is up to politicians, unfortunately. So that's very, very hard to handicap. But assuming science continues to make progress um, toward a solution and, and assuming that the Fed and Congress keep the stimulus flowing, I think the U.S. economy can grow at a, at a healthy above-trend pace in 2021 before slowing you know, to something closer to its long-term potential in 2022 and, and beyond. I mean, there's a lot of conversations, obviously. You know, in the U.S., um, we, we did significant stimulus. Um, does that have an impact, that deficit, will that have an impact on our GDP growth and on our economic and job growth? Do you think that will have a real impact as we look in the shorter term? Well, in the short term, it, it's essential that, that it, it continues. I mean, despite the V-shape that we've seen in many of the data series since, you know, some of the dreadful numbers in the second quarter, um, the economy is still pretty fragile. And, and you know, as always, it's, it's heavily dependent on consumers. So confidence in jobs will be critical. And that means that the support from both the Fed and Congress, you know, will be essential to keeping the recovery on track. 
Absolutely. And one thing that, that, that I think goes to the heart of this is obviously the employment side of things. Um, and I know for me personally, one of the, the images that is probably etched on, on my mind was obviously in April, as we saw the unemployment spike, the charts were, were, were staggering. And I'd love to get a sense from you. Obviously, you know, it, employment always evolves. It evolves over time. You know, we get different employments. You know, some sectors go away, some come in. And I'd love to get a sense from you as to what type of employment will return and where do we think it will return? You know, is what's really going to be kind of different in this recovery? So, so I'd love to get a sense from you as to, as we start to see employment come back, what type of employment will it be? Will it be more gig economy as we had before this pandemic? You know, where are the strengths, where are the weaknesses as you look to the employment market? Well, the good news is that the economy has recovered, you know, 10 million jobs in just four months. So, so that's clearly the good news. The bad news, of course, is that we're still 11 million plus jobs in the hole. And I think it seems pretty reasonable to believe that the easier gains have or will come earlier in this process so that, you know, job growth is likely to slow um, until, you know, COVID is solved and the economy can return to its sort of normal operating capacity. Um, we are seeing strength in the housing market, which largely sat out the decade-long exp expansion uh, post-GFC, and in the manufacturing sector, which could see a boost from onshoring as companies bring more production back to the U.S. Those two sectors are both you know, known for their multiplier effects. So if they continue to expand, um, we could see a, a quicker recovery in jobs. Um, Less surprisingly, I think the tech and the healthcare sectors, which were, you know, the real drivers of growth in the last cycle, you know, I think they, they remain, you know, pillars of strength going forward and, and will be an important source of, of job creation. So, so where does that lead you in terms of, say, like property types and then also a market? Which property type do you see gaining the most from that, from economic and job growth, you know, over the next, I'd say, really two to three years? And then which market in the U.S. do you kind of put your money behind? Well, I think we continue to like, um, you know, like a lot of investors, we continue to like the residential um, and industrial sectors. You know, within residential, um, you know, we, we focus on kind of the garden style and mid-rise apartments in suburban and infill locations um, with good school systems and access to employment nodes. I think the single family rental market and the seniors housing market also look very interesting. Um, on the industrial side, I, you know, I think the interesting opportunities as, as most people are focused on are in the large distribution warehouses that the e-commerce um, distributors are, you know, Amazon's and some of the, the big, you know, global um, omni-channel retailers like Walmart and Target, um, you know, and Home Depot. Those are, um, you know, a lot of demand for those and the last mile fulfillment centers, um, but also um, cold storage looks like a very interesting um, segment of the industrial market. Um, in terms of markets, we continue to like the higher growth, mostly lower cost uh, markets that were attracting employers and population before the pandemic. And we think that these will be even more attractive um, beyond COVID. Excellent. Um, so there are obviously a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities ahead. And I'd love just to kind of sum up our conversation as, as it were. So as we stand here today, what's the biggest challenge that you see for commercial real estate in the US? And then on the flip side, what do you see as the biggest opportunity? So biggest challenge first, what do you see? 
I think the biggest challenge near term um, is just going to be rebounding from the collapse in demand that we've seen um, just as the supply pipeline was peaking. Um, that challenge will be bigger for for retail, which which really didn't have a supply issue um, coming into the into the downturn, but certainly for um, also for for office, which was at the peak of its supply cycle, uh, kind of a, a classic you know office um, peaking just as demand um, demand uh, contracts. So, um, but but it will vary widely by market um, with you know the major cities and and the states that were in poor fiscal health prior to COVID likely, likely to struggle the most. Yeah, and, and, and the biggest opportunity, what are you most excited about as you look forward of the, the, the near term, you know, what really kind of excites you as you look out? Yeah, I think, I think the, the, this is a great opportunity for investors to really rethink their portfolio allocations, um, both within and across property types and within and across markets. You know, COVID has accelerated some of the really powerful trends that were already shaping real estate demand and use. And investors need to position their portfolios to be aligned with the structural drivers like technology and demographics that are gonna determine where the outlook for growth um, is best going forward. Um, in terms of sectors and markets, you know, as I said, ev everyone loves industrial and, and the asset pricing there pretty well reflects that consensus. So I think some of the best opportunities are likely to be in sectors and markets where there is you know, less consensus um, around valuations and demand and where the near-term risks therefore are higher. That, that probably includes select office assets and, and it includes some of the you know, major cities that are, are clearly gonna face um, strong near-term headwinds. Philip, thank you for your time. And thank you for joining myself, Philip, at the RealX Global Conference. Stay well. Thank you, Zoe. Take care.